just uh, finished uh, watching the Summer Baking Championship a couple weeks ago at our house. Um, Nick likes the ones with the kids, uh, and he loves to hear the backstories of people and see where they come from and all that. And, and we like to see all the, uh, the, the creative concoctions that these guys come up with. Um, it's, it's, it's fun because at the beginning of an episode, uh, everybody gets the same the same thing, right? You're going to make this. And they, and so there, there, it's this dessert you're going to make and everybody gets the same instruction. And by the end of that episode, you've got so many different things that all came from this one same instruction that everybody got. Uh, sometimes we can't believe how awesome they are and wow, it's just so creative and amazing. And other times we can't believe how awful they are and uh, usually that that person or those people are the ones that uh, get sent home because it didn't quite turn out right. Uh, different, different flavors and techniques and designs, but the essential ingredients though, what they've been given to, to work with, are, are the same for everybody. If they're baking a cake... Uh, they're going to have flour, right, and eggs and butter and sugar and milk. And uh, maybe uh, maybe if they're making bread, it's even more basic. You're going to have flour and yeast and salt and water, and, and, and then they're going to get creative from there, right? Uh, I have learned through watching these shows, uh, never knew what a French macaron was before. I don't even think I said that right, but I love to just pretend. And, uh, uh, you know, that's just egg whites and powdered sugar and almond flour, from what I understand. But uh, the, the, the contestants then add all the floofy stuff in there, right? And, and they make it unique, but it all starts with the same essential ingredients. And this fall, uh, we've been getting back to the essentials in our Christian faith. It's good to be reminded of, of the basics periodically, who we are and what we believe. Because I, maybe, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but churches, churches can get off on tangents sometimes. We can overemphasize some things and underemphasize other things. I guess I'm saying there's a wide range of flavors when it comes to, uh, to churches, right? And so it's good to get back to the essential ingredients. And today we're diving into the realm of the Holy Spirit. I heard a story about a pastor who was uh, shaking hands at the door after church uh, one Sunday and a longtime church member came past. Her name was Wilma and uh, she walked with a cane and she, she had gotten to the, into the habit of using her cane for emphasis. She would take that cane and, and kind of tap you in the, in the middle of the chest that she, if she was making a point she especially wanted to, to uh, uh, bring home. And, and, and so uh, anyway, that Sunday, Wilma walked up to the pastor and said, Pastor, that was a, that was a pretty good sermon. And, and in Christian humility, the pastor said, Well, thank you, Wilma, but it wasn't me. It was the Holy Spirit. And without batting an eye, Wilma tapped the pastor with her cane in the middle of his chest and said, Oh, no, if it was the Holy Spirit, it would have been a lot better than that. We believe in the Holy Spirit, that he shows up at church and that he plays some part in our spiritual lives. But our ideas about the Holy Spirit can get kind of ambiguous and confused. A.W. Tozer once wrote, the idea of the spirit held by the average church member is so vague as to be nearly non-existent. When he thinks of the matter at all, he is likely to try to imagine a nebulous substance like a wisp of invisible smoke, which is said to be present in churches and to hover over good people when they are dying. 
I've told you this before, maybe this, uh, this probably isn't new to you, but the Holy Spirit is a person, not an it. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is fully God, maybe because the Spirit is harder to describe or maybe because many of us want to secretly be members of the Jedi. Uh, we tend to uh, think the Holy Spirit is the force, right? And, and so we've kind of mixed those things over the, over the years. And, uh, and, and he's not just a force or the force. He is God himself. He is, he is a he, a person, uh, uh, fully God. Some may think that the Holy Spirit is, is kind of the newest addition to the Trinity. Uh, Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, we, we think of the Spirit primarily bursting on the scene on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. But that wasn't the first time that the Spirit was present or evident or working in, in the world. In fact, just like the other two persons of the Trinity, the Spirit has been around since before the beginning. In Genesis 1-2 says that he was hovering over the waters at the dawn of creation. The Spirit was hovering over the waters. The Holy Spirit actually pops up a lot through the Bible. We don't have time to, to walk through it all, but, but just a, a few highlights here. Uh, the Spirit not only was, was, uh, was there before creation, uh, the Spirit also brought life to humanity. Genesis 2-7 says, The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Hebrew word for spirit is ruach, or, or breath, or air, or wind. That's the word that's used there in Genesis 2-7. It was that uh, spirit wind that was breathed into Adam at the beginning of time. The Spirit also empowered uh, artistic giftedness. Maybe you know this, maybe you don't. We talked about this a little bit at our Tuesday Living in the Power of the Spirit group, and and uh, uh, a lot of uh, folks there hadn't really realized this story. Exodus 31, the, uh, so God is talking to Moses and telling him all these things he needs to build for the tabernacle. And then he says, uh, don't worry, I, I've got it taken care of. Uh, the Lord said to Moses, look, I have a specifically chosen... A guy named Bezalel, I added a guy named, but Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur of the tribe of Judah, I filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He is a master at every craft. And I have personally appointed Aholaib, son of his dad uh, of the tribe of of the tribe of Dan to be his assistant. Moreover, I have given special skill to all of the gifted craftsmen so they can make all the things I have commanded them commanded you to make. The Holy Spirit specifically gifted Bezalel and Aholaib and their their uh, their their helpers to build these special items that were needed for the tabernacle in the wilderness as the people are going from Egypt to the promised land. God said we need to make all this stuff and then he empowered through the Holy Spirit he empowered people to do these things with excellence. Uh, the Holy Spirit was there in the wilderness in uh, in the time of the Exodus. The Holy Spirit is seen all throughout the Old Testament, guiding leaders in the Old Testament. There are many passages indicating the Spirit filling or inspiring kings and prophets and judges. Numbers 11.25 says the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke to Moses. And then he gave the 70 elders the same Spirit that was upon Moses. And when the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied. 
Judges 13, uh, we see a, uh, a judge named Samson uh, coming, uh, coming uh, in, in just a little bit. It says in, in verses 24 and 25, the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson and he grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. I love that, that, uh, that phrasing. He, he was stirred by the spirit. Ezekiel chapter 2, Ezekiel the prophet in the Old Testament, it says, As he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. Uh, the Holy Spirit was present and active, and those are just three verses of, of a whole host of verses talking about the Spirit uh, uh, active in the lives of people in the Old Testament. The, the, the Spirit also inspired the writing of Scripture. 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. Prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit uh, was active and working and inspiring the, the, uh, the writing of the Holy Scripture. In the New Testament, during Jesus' ministry, uh, before the day of Pentecost, right? The day of Pentecost, we'll get there in just a minute. That's, that's after Jesus has left and gone back to heaven. That's where we think, usually think about the Holy Spirit coming on the scene, and he did. But he was active throughout Jesus' ministry as well. He, it says that the Spirit was the one who conceived Jesus within Mary. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit filled John the Baptist, even in the, in the womb. The story is great where, where uh, the baby leaps because the Spirit has, uh, has stirred him in, in the womb, John the Baptist. Uh, the, the Spirit uh, uh, inspired Simeon and Anna, two senior adults who had been waiting for the Messiah to come. And when Jesus is presented at the temple, there they are. And the Spirit says, that's him. And they prophesied and blessed and, uh, and spoke words over him and his family because the Spirit moved them to. The Spirit was present at Jesus' baptism. God speaking, this is my Son whom I love. Jesus is, is, uh, is standing there and the Holy Spirit descends as a dove. And then right after that, Jesus, or the, the Spirit prepared Jesus for his temptation in the wilderness and actually led him uh, uh, to, uh, to, to go out into the wilderness and then empowered him to uh, stand up against temptation. It says when Jesus came from that experience of temptation in the wilderness back to ministry, he was, came back filled with the Spirit. Scripture even says that it was the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. Romans 1.4, uh, he, Jesus, was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a lot of action of the Holy Spirit. And that's all before the day of Pentecost when the Spirit is poured out on all believers. Jesus told his disciples to wait and they're going to receive this gift and, and, uh, and, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, a lot of his conversation, especially in John chapters 14, 15, 16, 17, he's talking to his disciples on that night before he's betrayed and crucified and, and a lot of what he's saying is, hang on there, there's, uh, the Spirit's coming. And then, then we see in Acts chapter 1, he says, wait and uh, you're going to receive power from on high through the Holy Spirit. And so they waited and Acts chapter 2 uh, describes it this way. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. I guess what I'm saying 
is that the Holy Spirit has been present and active throughout history. From before the dawn of time until right now. You see, the Holy Spirit isn't just a Bible character back there somewhere. He's still at work today. Basically, the the Holy Spirit is, is how we interact with God, right? Jesus told his disciples it would be better if he left them because uh, he was going to send the Spirit and the Spirit could be with all of them uh, all at once at the same time. It didn't depend on him being a specific time and place, but it was going to be better when the Holy Spirit came. Everything that Jesus did for them, the Spirit does for us. He is essential to our Christian Lives. Well, what are, what are the things that the Holy Spirit does? Well, we're gonna, I'm gonna take a, take a run at it and, uh, and we're gonna talk, I, as, as we go through this series, we're talking specifically about the persons of God and then we're gonna talk about even more in depth in weeks to come of, of our response to that and what that really does, what they do in us as we think about, uh, our sin and we think about salvation and sanctification and, and how all those things work. But today, let's get a grasp, let's get a glimpse, let's take some snapshots, let's see what the Holy Spirit does. The first thing that I wanna pull out of scripture is that the Holy Spirit helps. As Jesus is preparing his disciples for his death, his resurrection, his ascension, he told them that the Holy Spirit was going to come and help them. John 14, 16. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another paraclete to help you and be with you forever. John 16, 7. Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the paraclete will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You probably saw a word in there, heard a word in there that, uh, uh, that, that, that maybe isn't one you've used before. Maybe you've heard it. It's a Greek term, paraclete. Uh, and the reason that I put that in there is that there's no real, there's not really any one English word that translates all of what paraclete means. Uh, a paraclete is someone who helps, someone who comforts, someone who brings counsel, someone who guides, someone who encourages. It's actually the same term that's used in 1 John chapter 2 that we looked at last week, referring to Jesus, and, and it's translated there uh, as advocate. So we talked a little bit about advocate and, and how Jesus is our advocate. The Spirit is also our advocate. Uh, Jesus says that the Spirit in John 14 is another advocate, another paraclete, another helper, comforter, counselor, encourager. Uh, just the same as what Jesus has, had done, the Spirit is going to do. In other words, we are not alone in our spiritual lives. We have a paraclete. We have a helper, we have an advocate, we have the Spirit of God. He encourages, he comforts, he counsels, he helps, he guides. In John 16, we see that he guides us only to what is true. Uh, John 16, 13, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit interacting with the Father and Jesus, uh, he guides us to what is really True, in the midst of the chaos and confusion of life, the Holy Spirit is our support. He is our helper. He is our guide. He guides us into truth. The Holy Spirit helps. In help, part of that help is that he teaches. The Holy Spirit teaches. John 14 again, but verse 26. But the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, uh, the advocate, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. 
The Holy Spirit teaches us all things and points us to the truth. Reverend Charles Spurgeon, so what, 150 plus years ago, uh, wrote these words about how the Spirit leads us to truth. Truth may be compared to a cave or grotto with wondrous stalactites reaching from the roof and others reaching from the floor, a cavern glittering with spar and abounding in marvels. Before entering the cavern, you inquire for a guide who comes with his lighted torch, flashlight. Uh, He conducts you down to a considerable depth and you find yourself in the midst of the cave. He leads you through different chambers. Here he points you to a little stream rushing from amid the rocks and indicates its rise and progress. There he points to some peculiar rock and tells you its name and then takes you into a large natural hall and tells you how many persons once feasted in it and so on. Truth is a grand series of caverns. It is our glory to have so great and wise a conductor as the Holy Spirit. Imagine that we are coming to the darkness of it. He is a light shining in the midst of us to guide us. And by the light, he shows us wonderful things. He teaches us by suggestion, direction, and illumination. That picture of of discovering truth as the Holy Spirit illuminates it to us. As we kind of like walking through a cave with with a guide. The Holy Spirit will not teach us. He will always teach us truth. And we need to recognize that. And that truth uh, is, is going to be supported by Scripture. The Holy Spirit will not teach us anything that contradicts Scripture. That emphasizes the partnership that we have in our interaction with the Spirit. He doesn't just open our heads up and dump in information. That's not how, uh, how this works. We have to be pursuing the truth, prayerfully seeking it out, uh, opening Scripture, uh, studying, looking to what it says. And as we do that, the Holy Spirit enlightens us uh, and enlightens what is being studied. The Spirit was present uh, uh, and active when the Scripture was written. He was inspired those words and he is present and active and inspiring us as we read those words and as we study those words and as we hear teaching about those words, he continues to inspire that. The partnership of the spirit and scripture is vital to our spiritual lives. If, if we believe that the Spirit has inspired God's Word, and if, if we believe that He is still active and involved in our lives today, and if we believe that He wants to teach us and guide us toward truth, the primary thing that we are going to do to participate with Him is to open the Bible and read it regularly, often, all the time. <laughs> open yourself up to the teaching of the Holy Spirit every day. He should be the source of truth in our lives. Where do you go for truth? I hope that it's more than cable news. I hope that it's more than social media. I hope it's more than the, uh, the, the couple, three friends that you like to get with and complain about how awful the world is these days, right? The Holy Spirit is the source of our truth, capital T, truth. Uh, He is our teacher in, as as, uh, Jesus says, he's your teacher in all things. We have to look at our lives through the lens of the instruction of the Holy Spirit. 
So I guess that means that when you're watching cable news, you're going to compare it back to truth and you're going to pray that the spirit would help filter out anything that isn't. And when you're in those other circumstances and you're learning, we're, we're always seeking his guidance and his direction for truth in all things. The Holy Spirit helps. The Holy Spirit teaches. Another thing the Holy Spirit does is that he convicts us. John 16, 8 says, when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness, and of the coming judgment. Conviction. In other words, the Holy Spirit helps us see life the way God sees it, the awful effects of sin, and the great results of righteousness. And so if we sin, uh, we sense God's displeasure. The Spirit convicts us, oh, this is something that doesn't please God. And he leads us back to a right relationship with God. He convicts us of sin. We probably think about this a lot of times as our, as our conscience, right? We, we feel bad when we do wrong. We feel that, that guilt in our gut that, that, that nothing really makes it better until we make things right with God and, and with whoever we may have wronged. That's the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin. But, but I think, I, I don't want us to get the wrong picture here that God is just this vindictive God that's pointing out every little uh, thing we do wrong. It's not that God puts on his angry eyes and then looks for all this stuff and then zaps us when we, when we, when, uh, we, we do things wrong because he likes to punish us. Conviction, conviction of sin, I mean, it's an it's a amazingly loving thing for God to do. He could just say, oh, you messed up. No, he brings that conviction so that we are spurred on toward getting things right, getting things back on track. Uh, the Spirit is showing us our sin because he wants us to, to be rightly related to God. God. God's gift of conviction is a blessing. The Holy Spirit convicts. Of course, it's possible to ignore that conviction, right? Uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy uh, says that sometimes we, our consciences are seared as with a hot iron, right? The, the more we ignore the voice of the Spirit, the less we feel his conviction and the more we try to figure out life on our own, right? The Holy Spirit is convicting us for our own good and we would do well to, to listen and to tap into that. We don't like to, to feel that guilt, right? And so, so we just kind of push it away. Uh, but but uh, the Holy Spirit is doing it to help us so that we can live in right relationship with God. He helps us. He teaches us. He convicts us. And he also empowers us. Acts 1.8 says, you will receive, Jesus talking to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. My phone is over five years. I guess I left it down there. I was going to pick it up, but you know what a phone looks like. It's over five years old. It still works. Um, believe it or not. It takes great pictures. It plays music. It gives me directions to the restaurant, and it'll even calculate the tip for me if I needed to. It's my Bible a lot of the time. I can check my email and, and check social media and get the weather forecast and play around to golf and read a book all on that one little device, right? Maybe not all at the same time. It also tells me how fast I'm running and it keeps track of my route. Oh, and it texts and makes phone calls too. It does, does do those things as well. None of that happens though if the, if the battery runs out. 
which, which it tends to do faster and faster these days. It's over five years old. I plug it in whenever I can. Uh, by the end of the day, usually by mid-afternoon, if I haven't plugged it in, uh, it's got a red little light on there and it's saying, you better plug, plug in pretty quick. Uh, used to last days. Now it lasts hours. So I try to plug it. I've got one of those little, you know, phone charger, uh, you know, the portable battery thing. And, and I'll, if I don't think I'll be around a, a place I can plug it in, then I take I'm trying to plan ahead because I've got to have in order to do all the stuff, have all the benefits of this little device in my pocket. I've got to have it uh, have the power to make it work. I use that phone for a lot of things in my daily life. So I'm in constant need of power. In our spiritual lives, we are in constant need of the Holy Spirit's power. We cannot live a victorious Christian life without the power of the Spirit. Well, how does he empower us? I mean, again, we've got, you know, uh, I've only got you here till two today, so we, we don't have a whole lot of time. The Browns are fine. You don't have to get, no, I'm just kidding. The Browns are not fine. no. That's another sermon. Um, How does the Holy Spirit empower us? There's a lot of ways I want to pull three out today. The Holy Spirit uh, uh, gifts us for ministry, empowers us through gifting is the first thing. He gives us supernatural ability. I'm not talking about Marvel comics and and flying through the air or, or, uh, you know, x-ray vision or anything like that. Uh, But but, uh, scripture talks about uh, the Spirit giving us gifts, spiritual gifts. Gifts. First Corinthians 12 is probably the most popular place to read this, although there's several other passages about it. Uh, it says there in verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, in everyone, it is the same God at work. That passage goes on to talk about uh, and actually list a bunch of spiritual gifts that different people have from the Spirit. Things like prophecy or, or hospitality or discernment or uh, service or healing. Uh, we, I talked about a little bit ago the, the, in the Old Testament there in Exodus, the, the gift of craftsmanship. I, I mean, when we receive the Spirit, He empowers us with gifts for serving in God's kingdom. God wants to use you to point people to him, to, to, uh, to bring uh, blessing in the world, and he does that uniquely through the ways that he gifts you to do that. And, and uh, again, if, if we had the time to, to read all of 1 Corinthians 12 and, and see all that, it has this big metaphor of a body and how each of us is a different part of that body, and, and we each play a, play a role or do a thing because you're gifted here and I'm gifted there and you're gifted over here, and we all come together, and as we together live out those gifts, We point people to Jesus in different ways and God brings people across our path. And together as the church, we are the body of Christ in the world. And it's it's a a wonderful thing that would not happen if the spirit did not empower it to happen. He empowers our giftedness. The Holy Spirit also empowers us for fruitfulness. Galatians 5 uh, lists, five, or lists nine character qualities that, uh, that all of God's followers will exhibit if we're allowing the Holy Spirit into our lives. And you've probably heard about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, we, we don't pick and choose a few of those. Well, I'm, I'm going to be patient and uh, loving, but let's forget that self-control thing, right? No, it, the, when the Spirit comes, He brings... Uh, 
the, the fruit. It's almost as if, you know, we, we see these as separate and they are separate, but fruit is, uh, is singular, not plural there. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit, it's like one big fruit that has all of this stuff in it. And when the spirit is living in us, then all of that is, is, uh, is displayed. And, and you, it, we don't pick and choose the ones we're going to try out for a little while. The, the Holy Spirit brings all of that into the life of a believer. And we have to allow him to develop those things in us. Again, it's not that he just dumps all this good stuff in us, but we partner with him in developing these things. If the Spirit has truly gotten a hold of your life, there will be a real difference between how you live now versus how you lived before the Spirit got a hold of your life. And if there's not a difference, then the Spirit probably hasn't really gotten a hold of your life. His fruit is the evidence that the Spirit is alive and active in you, which highlights one more uh, amazing way that He empowers us. He empowers us for holiness. The Spirit empowers us to be holy. Again, we're going to talk a lot more about this in a couple of weeks when we talk about sanctification. We're instructed in Scripture more than once to be holy because God is holy. Hebrews 13 tells us, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. But you and I both know that we can't just snap our fingers and, okay, I'm going to be holy, right? It doesn't happen that way. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be holy. In Acts chapter 2, the crowd asked Peter. Peter had preached to them, so the Holy Spirit came down and they did all the stuff. And, and they said, you guys are crazy and you guys are drunk. And he said, no, it's the Holy Spirit. And, and he gave this huge sermon. And at the end, they said they were uh, cut to the quick, it says. And, and, uh, and, and they said, what do we do? What do we do about all this? We're, we're convicted. And, and uh, in Acts 2.38, Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 says, Your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. When we give our lives to God, Jesus comes to dwell in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. It is His Spirit that empowers us to be holy. It is His Spirit who, who roots out the sin in our lives and, and directs us toward God. It's not that He makes us uh, sinlessly perfect, but we're on this journey toward heaven and journey toward holiness and we're becoming more and more and more like Him. And we can't do that without the Spirit's power within us making that happen. He comes in us as we receive him, as we, we talk about a lot of things in, in, uh, in the Bible about what that means. Salvation, uh, inviting Jesus into your heart, um, uh, being born again. All of, all of those things are talking about inviting, uh, inviting God to live, live, uh, live your life for him, that we're going to live our lives for him as God empowers us to do that. And we're on that journey toward becoming more like him and becoming holy. At some point, there's that second work of grace where we completely turn everything over to God and say, you can have it all. I'm sick of doing this on my own. And he comes in and, and empowers that, that holiness to root out that sin uh, from, from, the, from, from the root. And, and then we continue to live for him and, and continue to grow. And again, we're going to talk a lot more about that in the weeks to come. When we give our lives to Christ, Jesus comes to dwell in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Well, how does that work? 
I mean, it's God and he's out there. And, and is there one God or three gods? Okay, well, I'm kind of beginning to grasp this whole Trinity thing. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. Now you're talking about the Holy Spirit. But then you say that God isn't out there. He's in here. And how can he be in here? I mean, it's a difficult concept. I heard a story about a seven-year-old girl who, who told her three-year-old sister that she had found Jesus and she'd hidden him in her heart. And the three-year-old sister, not to be outdone, went later to her mother and said that she had also found Jesus and she had hidden him under the bed. <laughs> then there was a little girl who, who told her mom, I know that Jesus lives in my heart, but how do I tell him that I love him? Do you think if I write I love you on a piece of paper and eat it that he'll get the note? It's these, it's this, you know, this spiritual concept, right? It's not a physical, it's, it's not, it's, it, the Holy Spirit lives in our soul. He's, 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 he's part of, he's filling that, he, he we repent of our sins. We, we believe in Jesus for forgiveness and salvation. And we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe there needs to be one point on your outline. The Holy Spirit is, is a gift. <laughs> that begins our journey toward holiness. We allow the Spirit to have more and more access to our lives. He points out habits and thoughts and actions that need to change. And as we obey, He keeps transforming us and, and making us more like Jesus, making us more and more holy. We can't do that by just trying harder. We don't have the power. It's the Holy Spirit within us empowering us to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is essential to your spiritual life. He's been around since, since before the beginning of time. He has been active in the world throughout history. And it's, it's mind-boggling, but He wants to help you, each of us, individually to help us, to teach us, to convict us, to empower us. The Spirit is the very real presence of God around us. He is with us. He is near to us. 